0: Thirty-six percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a one-dollar-per-month trial period at Shopify.com/work. Shopify.com/work. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Get a three day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement, and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Movement by Lara podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns. So together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today I welcome a very special guest, my friend Katie Curran. Katie I met in my yoga classes about five or six years ago and she has a quite an array of accomplishments. She is a former college athlete, an incredible human being. She has a PhD in positive psychology And today we talk about a very important quality that is something you can actually cultivate, not that you're necessarily born with, but you can practice and strengthen. And that quality is resilience. So please welcome my wonderful guest, Katie Curran. Welcome, Katie Curran. Well, hello. Hello. Happy to be here. (laughs) I'm so happy to have you. Everybody can hear about Katie in my preview, but I've known Katie for about five, maybe almost six years um, when she started coming to the yoga studio. And when you walked in, you walk in to a room and really command attention. I don't know if you know that or not, but... um, (laughs) Not (laughs) intentionally. Do you feel like that's always been the case? Have you heard that before? There seems to be
1: some sort of energy that comes out of me that I don't think I was fully aware of. Uh, but in the last 10 years or so, I would say I hear it more and more. And the more time I spend in front of people, you know, my my personal mission statement is to cultivate growth wherever I go. So I, in some way, maybe that's just coming out. And I walk into a room and you have to connect to cultivate growth. And
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I don't know. Can you tell us a little bit about, I think also Katie is... Uh, she is tall, so I mean, she tall. She's tall and she carries herself with a lot of um, grace and presence, and I think that helps a lot. And I and we'll get into what I feel like presence is, kind of can be embodied and just like what you were starting to allude to. But let's back up a little bit and talk about your um, your movement history. So you were a basketball player.
1: I was a basketball player. Uh, growing up, I played everything from golf to tennis to basketball to softball to volleyball. You name it, I played it. You have a pool outside of the sauna here. I swam, <laughs> uh, played basketball for one year in college, and then had a bit of a life shift where I, I sort of found my passion in my professional work and left the sport to to sort of redirect passion. And in that, I lost movement altogether. So I spent three years really dedicated to work and not moving. And then when I turned back around, I say, wait a second, no one's yelling at me to run suicides. No one's yelling at me to, to do anything. I have to move. I found triathlons. So I bought a bike. I registered for a try. And then I spent a decade doing triathlons and
0: Then I found yoga. Oh my goodness. I didn't know that about you. And it's so fascinating when people... Because I think this will help a lot of people. I think uh, this can happen with people. They they find a passion or they get really involved in their work and then just kind of um, close off to other dimensions that are really important in their life, like self-care. And I... I want to ask you more about that because I know it's repeated a couple times at least I think in your life when you've gotten really really engaged and then your self care has gone kind of in the you know to maybe the fourth or fifth position, <laughs> but uh, that'll be part. d we'll, we'll, I, I definitely want to address that. But right now, I want to talk a little bit about your background because I think it's so fascinating. You were really the first person that I had met that had gotten this um, academic, you know, uh, this academic degree in positive psychology. I'd never really heard about it. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what, what led you to that? How did you, is that that's what you're referring to when you said you found your job, your occupation yeah. after basketball? Mm-hmm. So no, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: making a long story short, the, the basic gist is the passion I found was actually working with kids with autism. So I mm. became sort of obsessive after taking a summer job with kids on the spectrum uh, about figuring out how to work with them and, and help them and enable them to have good lives. And about eight or nine years into my career, I realized I was really good at changing behavior, but looking at lives that still weren't thriving and flourishing. So I was at a breaking point. I was either going to quit what I was doing Or figure out how to reconnect in a a passionate way. So I actually spent a summer in Africa helping kids who had nothing access services for the first time. So we built the first special ed classroom in Tanzania. And there I found my passion. But I also found this group of kids who, um, in spite of their disability, were joyful. Hmm. No one was trying to change them. They didn't know how to change them. They didn't know how to teach them, manipulate them, use, you know, behavioral sciences in any way. So when I came back, I was like, wait a second, we spend so much energy trying to change people. What if we just accept them? And that's how I found positive psychology. And it was all about sort of how do you meet people where they are, figure out what's best in them and help them grow.
0: Oh, my gosh, I love that. That gives me the chills. (laughs) I mean, I think this is where we bonded right away because... You, of course, like the physical part of my yoga teaching and practice, but we really uh, speak the same language in that, you know, I kind of go through the vehicle of the body, that the body, you can find empowerment but moving and challenging yourself and meeting that challenge and seeing the possibility. And I think you are finding it through the psychology and and knowing how to direct people through different practices. And I think the biggest message here is that you don't have to have all, all of it in place, but you can, it's a learn, it's a skill. You can learn it and yeah. practice
1: it. I mean, I think that's what was coolest for me is I intended to use positive psychology just with kids on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I learned quickly, we can all learn strategy, skills, tools to bolster our own well-being and sort of improve our life day in and day out. And that's, um, that's been the cool part for me. So I work with, um, educators to help kids and I work with, I spent five years working for Penn training soldiers who were, you know, on the front lines and drill sergeants that were training soldiers to be on the front line. And Mm -hmm. then I work with families and there are just so many ways to access the good life that, um, I'm happy to be here talking about it.
0: Well, and I love that because I think our path started the same, you know, I mean, I was doing yoga and I was working with in my physical therapy world, with very, very involved stroke patients, and applying these kind of principles of neuroplasticity, and you know how you can take this fairly damaged area of the brain, and we have so much of ab- abundance of neurons up there that we can utilize that we're not. And and using that and then thinking, wait, if I'm doing this with really involved people, why am I not doing this on the mat with people who are less involved <laughs> but still have imbalances? And that's really what we're both doing in different ways. And I think that we're we're teaching this element of um, well, the neuroplasticity, but also this idea of resiliency. So I really want to talk about resiliency because I think that what I have heard in 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 reading, researching positive psychology and, and just other um Psychoanalytic work is that this is a big um, idea and a big strategy that people are underutilizing, and that our children are, are much less resilient than children in past years. We as a society are less resilient. We as a you know culture and people, all of us. So I first wanted to read the definition of re- resiliency because I, I love words and I love the dictionary. So this this is resilience. The power or ability to return to the original form, position, etc. after being bent, compressed, or stretched. The ability to recover readily from illness, depression, adversity, or the like. And then, of course, one of my favorite words, buoyancy. Mm. Which is really the ability to float above the downward pressures. And that could be like the physical pressure, like water. uh, Or it could be like the emotional pressures that we uh, can experience in life and and being able to rise above that so my question for you because this of course could be you know we (laughs) we could spend a week together which we probably (laughs) should we should probably have a resilient um yoga retreat let's do it yeah let's do that so tell us if you want us to do that but what do you find that people are the least resilient with in their lives
1: yeah (laughs) so that's a fascinating question um First, can I speak about the definition you read? Of course. Okay. Yeah. So I think the definition, as you just read it, is a really traditional understanding of psychological and physical resilience.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but the positive psychology literature really tags on to that definition by adding that it isn't just about bouncing back to your sort of baseline state. It's truly about growing and thriving in the face of adversity. Can you come out of the challenges in life? stronger, with more resources, with with a better understanding of who you are and how you handle those challenges. Mm. So it isn't just bouncing back, it's bouncing back and growing and thriving so that you're better ready for the next challenge. all right, now I'll answer your actual question. Oh, I love that
0: though. <laughs> I think that's good. That's really important to know. So it's not just this ability to, like, literally, like a ball, like bounce right back yeah. and okay, pick yourself up, get get going. It's it's a bit more than that, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, so when I'm working with kids, I use some pretty easy imagery. So first is just a soccer ball or a tennis ball, right? You can easily get kids to say, "Hey, that's resilience." Like you can kick it, you can throw it, you can roll it through the dirt. Mm-hmm. It bounces back. An egg not so resilient. You drop it, it cracks, it breaks. But then resilience is much more complex than that. So it's, how do we start looking at things like trees? And when you look at a tree, most of us would say resilient, but how did it become resilient? How many storms did it weather? How many, you know, roots did it have to grow? So you can really work with imagery to like build out this concept Mm. for much more than just a ball and an egg. Yeah.
0: Um, I love that. Yeah.
1: Where are people least resilient?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I you sort of alluded to the times in my life where I don't take care of myself. I mm-hmm. think that's where we're least resilient, is when we stop doing the day-to-day things that enable resilience. So I, I think one of the myths in in resilience is that you sort of either have it or you don't, that you were born tough or you were born weak. And one way or the other, you got a, either a lucky scramble of genes or you didn't. And that just isn't true. What's true is that when you wake up every day, you can choose to to practice things that build positive emotion. You can choose to practice movement. You can choose to practice gratitude. You can choose to engage in ways that bolster your resilience. And when you're putting practices and skills and strategies into place every day, no matter what life throws at you, you're going to be better prepared to handle it. Um, And that's sort of the, the premise behind the work we did with with soldiers was could we bolster their resilience before they went overseas and were on the front lines? Could we actually give them strategies to put into practice so that we weren't trying to fix them when they came back with PTSD? Rather, we were setting them up for something called PTG, which is new to most people, but post-traumatic growth. So we get so stre- you know, sort of obsessed with talking about what goes wrong with the human condition, but really a lot goes right most of us grow through trauma and through challenge. So
0: That's so interesting. On the on the soldier um, front, I've been spending a lot of time talking with Chris, who you mm-hmm. know well. Um, and he really wants to... Chris Randazzo, I've mentioned him before, is one of my yoga students. He went through a teacher training. He also is a retired Marine. And he's very, very, very passionate and committed about bringing this to veterans. Uh, and he is... Uh, really riled up as i i am too i understand about the languaging around um this post-traumatic the wounded where all these things and you know this is not to take away from an experience that is incredibly traumatic but what do you think are the is the effect of labeling something and Time, right and yeah. it, on the on the on the ability to be resilient because if you've got a label and labels are helpful for sure because then you can be like okay this is what we're dealing with it's like sorting you know but can they also be disabling yeah. you know and what do you think the labels that we give for example veterans with this, with this post traumatic disorder even calling it a disorder You know, I know in the psychology world, we also have to label things. But what what do you think? Well, two things. So one, specifically
1: talking about soldiers, the research is really clear. Even people that have symptoms of PTSD can go on to develop PTG, to grow from those experiences. What's unclear is sort of the time course. Mm -hmm. Does it take three weeks, three months, three years? How long does it take for someone to be able to reflect so They're not mutually exclusive. It's not to say, hey, you know what? If you had PTSD, you'll never grow. Rather to say, look, when I stand in front of a room of 300 soldiers and I say, how many of you have heard of PTSD? A hundred hands go up. Two hundred hands go up. Three hundred. And they've all been trained. In fact, before they leave, they check the block like, yes, I've been trained in PTSD. When they're coming back, they're asked, do you think you have PTSD? And they run through the symptoms. But when you ask the same group, how many of you have heard of PTG? One, two, three people have ever heard that there's the potential to grow through challenge. And I think to your point, labeling makes a huge difference because we become what we know, we become what we think, we become what we speak. Um, We're doing something similar with kids today. We're telling adolescents today they're the most depressed, anxious, least resilient cohort ever to walk the planet. Yet we're not telling them, hey, there's this really cool theory called the perma theory of well-being. If you go after more positive emotion, if you find ways to engage in the world, if you build strong relationships, you hunt down meaning and connecting to things larger than yourself and you feel a healthy dose of accomplishment every day, you can thrive and flourish. So it's like we're telling kids, hey, don't get depressed, but we're not giving them the way, the tools tools out. So I think labeling has the potential to be hugely disabling. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I work every day to, to give people the words they need to go after what we actually want, instead of to relabel the problem.
0: Yeah. Oh, I like that. Relabel the problem. It reminds me, getting back to the the veterans when when we were training for going on our hike, uh, our first hike, you know, coast to coast. We were on the Appalachian Trail, and this guy, like, totally loaded with all kinds of, you know, he was he was on the trail for a couple of months. <laughs> clearly. And he had one big stick and he came over, we were having our snacks and he comes over and starts talking to us. And he was, um, an ex, uh, he was a veteran. He fought in I don't know how many, you know, he was, he he was a well, uh, you know, uh, meddled veteran. And this was his sixth time walking the Appalachian trail. And he, he talked very openly. He said, I, I'm, my mind's really messed up. This is the thing that brings me peace is walking, moving my body, taking breaths, feeling the breath, being, having the gratitude, being in nature. He said, you know, sitting around talking about my problems and just talking about the fact that I have this didn't help me at all. It made me more depressed, but this feels like I'm do. I'm taking, and he's like, this is the sixth time. It might take six more times. It might take 10 more times, but I'm taking steps toward that, you know, that more ba- balanced place where uh, you can come into life and and feel and some enjoy more readily.
1: Well, and I think that's the important piece is that we're not saying, hey, trauma doesn't hurt. And we're not saying that trauma doesn't cause damage. And we're not saying that people don't look back on trauma and say, God, I wish that had never happened. I wish I hadn't gone through that. But even once we have, there are things that we can do to help ourselves. And I think movement, um, for me, is hugely impactful. And I think for so many people, just at a at a basic level, when we can just move our bodies, we know it heals our minds. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. It doesn't surprise me at all that movement would would bring on the positive emotions, which we have to talk about.
0: Yes, we will. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about first before we get to that and 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 how it's affected you and and what you recommend for others. What do you say to the naysayers out there? Because some people, you know, there's, there's this world out there of, of yoga and of like spirituality and of pop spirituality and positive psychology can get a, you know, people can laugh at it a little bit. What are your thoughts? What, how do you respond to the naysayers who are like, no, this, you know, just thinking a good thought isn't going to make you happy. And it's like, well, that's not exactly what you guys are saying in the first place. But how do you yeah. typically respond to that?
1: So I I typically approach it from a place of compassion, like there is Mm -hmm. some clear misunderstanding. So the naysayers either don't clearly understand what we are saying, so I try to clarify, right? Positive psychology is not happyology. It Mm -hmm. doesn't start and end with happiness. It's about meaning and connection and relationships and and so much more. And even from the um, sort of positive thinking side of things— we're talking about how do you use cognitive reappraisal, which is a lot more than looking in the mirror saying, I think I can, I think I can. It's, it's how do you train your brain to critically analyze your own thinking? That's an
0: incredible skill that we all need. Um, so, Is that like noticing a thought when it's coming up as opposed to being like trying to overla- override the thoughts just with these like mantras, but, but actually be like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm having this thought right now. And it's, I've had it for the past 30 years and I need to like, let's just not pay attention to that.
1: Well, or pay right. attention to it and right. evaluate the, kind of curse. Yes. Evaluate the hell out of it. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah. is it
1: accurate? Right. Is it thorough? Does it like wholly represent my core values today where I stand? Is it an old belief that doesn't serve me anymore? So I say, yes, there's benefit to meditation, absolutely, and sort of letting thoughts come and go. But I think there's also benefit to analyzing our thoughts so that we have better control over Mm -hmm. um, the emotions they're driving, right? Our thoughts drive how we feel and how we act. And so if you're just letting your thoughts come and sort of dictate your emotional state, you are a less resilient person, right? Resilience is about self-awareness of your thoughts, your emotions. Resilience is about being able to dig in and self-regulate your thinking so that you get more of what you want in life. And so, yes, there is a time and a place to to meditate and let those thoughts go, but there's also a time and a place to critically analyze your thinking. So answer one to naysayers is, look, this is a lot more than happyology. Yeah. Let's talk about it. (laughs) Answer two is you probably need these skills more than anyone I've met in a long time, but you're just not yet open And then it's on me, if it's someone I'm working with, to build the relationship in such a way Mm -hmm. that they can start to open up to ideas that there is the potential to feel good. And I think a lot of times that the the barrier is fear, hurt, shame. they're afraid to be vulnerable. Like I, I'm obsessed with Brene Brown's work on vulnerability because the the people that are so blocked to vulnerability
0: mm-hmm.
1: are the very people that need love and connection the most. So I say be patient.
0: Yeah. I often say, you know, send, you know, send love out to everybody. Everybody needs it. But really send love out to the people who are the, the most unkind because they need it even more. Yes. You know, because it's like hurt people. We know that hurt people hurt and... And it's the heart, that's our own practice to be our, you know, the best we can be and the best, most resilient we can be so that we can, we can be assistance for others when we are in these positions that like you and I are in, we're leading different um, forms, different movements. And, you know, I, I don't know if you heard my podcast on fear, um, but I call it, it was an acronym and it was like, and it's really like noticing, like when you have fear, look at it, is it? There's one of the one one of the four um letters that is actually truthful. And that would be fact. Like you're about to get hit by a car. Yeah. <laughs> the fact is you could, you know, die. So like you better have some fear to move. But everything else is based on envy, anger, and regret. Right. And so when we have fear, it's usually those other driving forces. And so like I really like what you said. Meditate, but notice and then analyze. Do the do the yeah. cognitive work of like, well, is this really, is this accurate? Is this, is this a fact that, that this is happening? Or is this just um, kind of a channel that I've been tuned into for so long because I felt, you know, not worthy of something or whatever it is. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Noticing so that. You love an acronym. So uh, <laughs> oh, what I teach—I <laughs> love acronyms. I probably get on people's nerves. Like half the people love them and half are like, yeah, you really like acronyms. <laughs> okay, this one
1: will be quick. So what I teach people is slow down to think fast. Fast mm-hmm. meaning flexibly accurately, sharply and thoroughly.
0: You have Ooh. to slow
1: down mm-hmm. and when you write your thoughts on paper, something incredible happens in the brain and you can get a, a more objective view of your own thinking. So you know when our thoughts are floating around in our heads, they ha- they hold a lot of power because we experience them as reality. Our thoughts are not reality. our thoughts are just our perceptions of the world. Um, so when you write them down on paper and you can say, Am I thinking flexibly? Am I even accurate? Am I thinking sharply here? And am I seeing this whole situation? Am I being thorough enough? Mm -hmm. You can really play around with, wait a second, that thought should hold no power over me because it's not even accurate or I could be more flexible here. You can really work with your thinking, which frees up the mind to sort of see the world in a different way. But when you're just walking around with thoughts in your head controlling you rather than controlling them, you can't be resilient
0: now it's so say you feel pretty resilient yourself how do you bring resiliency into relationships when you are can no longer come you don't you can't control the other person we all know you can only control yourself but say there's people out there who have really difficult relationships with family members let's say because you know that's If you have a difficult relationship with a friend, you can always just, you know, decide not to be that person's (laughs) friend anymore. But the family is a little bit trickier. Um, What are your what do you what what is an advice that you would give to somebody who like is coming up against this? And it's it's wearing on their own resilience of being able to um, be the be who they really want to be in that in that relationship.
1: Yeah, so I think. Mm It's really difficult when you see people in their own struggle and you can't fix them. You know, Mm -hmm. we're smiling because we're both fixers. Like, we want to help people. We want to fix people. We want to, you know, teach them tools to help them grow. And and when we run into barriers and that isn't happening, I think it's really, really hard. And Mm -hmm. I suspect many of your listeners uh, feel the same way. And so, you know, I really go back to, like, other people matter a lot. Uh, Chris Peterson, who is a leading researcher in positive psychology, and unfortunately passed away too young. He said we could sum sum up the entire field in three words: other people matter. Period. Mm. And I, I, you know, I come back to compassion and patience a lot. Like those people need us to show up to be there for them. The leading predictor of resilience is one abiding person in our life one person we can trust it's the leading predictor of resilience in kids oh wow and it's incredibly important to us as adults Uh, so can we show up for each other even when it's hard and we do all sorts of ridiculous things to try and push the people away that we need the most so you know i go patience compassion and then i think like what are the tools Can you develop a practice with that person where rather than talking about everything that's wrong, you shift the question when you call them to what went well this week? Mm. And you set them up with your words rather than how are you, which you're going to run into a wall. Right. Uh, What went well this week? Tell me one good thing. And then Shelly Gables got some cool research on how we respond to each other's good news can really strengthen relationships. So when they share a nugget of good from their week... Can you celebrate it? Can you actively and constructively respond to their good news? We know that's going to build joy and a sense of belonging between those two people. So that was a long-winded way of saying, set the person up to find the good in their life Mm. and then celebrate the hell out of it with them.
0: I love that, Katie, because I feel like we, um, I want to say women, maybe men do this too. I only know because I'm a woman, but I, I feel like we, and I've talked about this before, we're really kind of conditioned to not celebrate each other's wins, which is ridiculous because we should be like, we only are going to, you know, it's like rising tide is going to lift all boats. So it's like, we need to celebrate. And I love that. Um, you can see when people hold back, if something's going well and they're like, Oh, you know, it's like, if I celebrate it, maybe I'm giving some power away. It's this, it's really effed up. Well, it's not effed
1: up. It's, it's, it's The fact is, we are all so shitty at responding to each
0: other's good news mm-hmm. that
1: we have punished people into believing it's not worth sharing. So the research shows oh, there's, love, yeah. there's four ways we respond to good news. I, not what we intended to <laughs> talk about today, but no, I'll go there. Good. Yeah. Um, the first is passive constructive. So somebody shares good news with you, you give them a thumbs up, a high five, that's great. You're right. sort of happy for them, but mm-hmm. not with them. The second is passive destructive someone shares their their little nugget of joy with you and you change the channel maybe you're busy your kid comes in and says look i got a 95 on my math test and you say do you have your shin guards it's time for soccer practice like you just change the channel on the good news the third is active destructive somebody shares good news with you and your brain from a critical thinking place goes to everything that could go wrong with their good news and you just find all of the flaws so those three deteriorate relationships Punish the hell out of us. We decide, you know what? I'm never sharing with that person again. That felt (laughs) awful. And they break down relationships. There's only one style where you show up, you put aside whatever you were doing, and you actually ask questions. You engage. You help the person relive the good news. You you showcase what's good for them, and you're not just happy for them. You're actually happy with
0: them. Mm. And
1: both people benefit. Both people get a positive mood induction. Both people feel closer and more connected. It's, it's the best 90 seconds of your day you'll spend. But we don't share good news with each other because we're so afraid to. Mm-hmm. And we aren't so good at practicing. So that's a skill. I feel like when I teach people that skill, particularly families that are struggling, it's like, wait, time out. Forget what's happened in the past. We have learned this now. We didn't know it for the last 30 years, but we are now going to commit to celebrating wins and everything shifts.
0: And I think that's great because, you know, um, parenting obviously has, has gone through lots of different phases where you never would talk about like, you know, you wouldn't be a, you wouldn't be a braggart. And then it was like, you celebrated everything, but it was kind of like a little bit empty, you know, like everybody gets a trophy, everybody does this, everybody. And so like, we've lost the, um, the power of really celebrating something for, and that's why I love teaching. Like, I feel like some, I remember people have said to me over the years, like, aren't you afraid that if you teach somebody, they're going to be able to get better than you? And I was like, I don't even understand that, that. right? Like I am, I am as, and I think you've witnessed, I'm as excited (laughs) for people who are making small but significant shifts in their practice as I am if I was doing, it, you know, like it's just, and I think when you really feel that joy, because that's, it is that connection and we're both people, people, so that I think we probably feel it even more because it's it's more natural for us to really want to go out there and cheer people on. But um, it is so, it it's, it's missing it is missing you see people don't know how to respond like they'll be like oh did you hear so and so got this da 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 and it's like everybody's ready to like you find said the flaw. find the flaws like well is that mean she's not going to have time for this in her life or that you know and if that person's a mother or you know, you know she's going to have to whatever i've seen it and you, and you just say like this is amazing People figure it out. Talk about resilience. If you celebrate it, you'll... you'll. Well, and that's
1: the irony, right? So many times the news people bring to us, they're on the fence about,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I just got
1: into a graduate program. They don't yet know if that's really good news. They're right. a little bit afraid. And when you say, really? How are you going to pay for that? Like, oh my God, isn't that going to take you away from your kids? And all of a sudden they're on the fence news becomes terrifying. Right. Where you just had the opportunity to say, oh my God, that's amazing. What are you going to be studying? Who? How'd you get in? What What are you most passionate to share with the world once you've learned that? Like, boom, their brain is like, oh, that's right. I don't need to be afraid. Like, I'll figure all of the logistical stuff out. I'm clearly doing something worth doing. And we have those moments for people. And all too often, they're missed moments. We, mm-hmm. we don't celebrate the win and, and we don't help people see the good that they are doing in the world. So I think it's our responsibility every day to share more good and to respond responsibly when people share good news.
0: I love that. And I think that's going to build that that state of resiliency because then you're in the practice of celebrating everybody's wins.
1: Well, and we know that if you show up for somebody in their good news, yeah. They're 10 times more likely to come to that's not science yes. that's just yeah. me speaking but right. they're significantly more likely to come to you with their tough stuff. Yeah. If you are a mom out there or a dad and you want your kids to, you know, call you when they're in trouble, you better show up in the good stuff and mm-hmm. you better hear about their good news every single day. They'll be much more likely to talk to you about the problems if they trust you to celebrate their wins.
0: Yes. So speaking of kids, uh, let's talk about the kid that is doesn't isn't on the spectrum or anything but yeah. just like your average teenager when your kids become teenagers what are, what would you like to impart that 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 your teen what are the skills the tools you would like your teen to be able to have what would you suggest for people in if they could i know that's really like what that's a lot of no, it's a, which, huge which, question. Right, it's a huge question but what are some things that um like toolkit wise that you could give to a parent or directly to a teen because they go through so much. For instance, my daughter, like, I mean, one day things are just sunny and bright and everything's amazing. And then the next day it's like, I feel so sad. I don't know, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, as a parent, I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I'm just like, what? And I, you know, a lot of the times I listen. I don't try and fix it. I don't try and, you um, uh, you know, I'll say something like, I know it must seem like you know, everything is not going your way, that's the most I'll say. And sometimes she'll just listen to that. And sometimes she'll say like, no, it's real. It's really real. You know, then she's, and then I'm like, okay, she doesn't want me to say anything. She just wants to unload and that's fine. So I kind of get the message from her, but for yes, parents, for so- teens, what would you say?
1: <laughs> for parents of teens, good luck.
0: Good luck. Um,
1: <laughs> no, you know, I think that the most important thing we can teach our kids is that they have control over their well being. Mm -hmm. And the teen years in particular between the hormones and the pressures at school and the pressures at home and everything they're trying to be and figure out who they are, there's this huge um, sort of void of control. They have so little sense that they can control their world. And when you start to teach them that at the end of the day, if nothing else is controllable, They can't control how their friends act. They can't control how much homework their teacher gives. They can't control if their mom yells at them or doesn't yell at them. They can control how they feel inside. And, you know, a couple of tools that are really, really important for kids to start learning is absolutely a daily uh, dose of gratitude. I think every adolescent should have a gratitude journal that they keep, you know, every single day. And parents say, oh, well, journaling should be private. And I say, it's one place that I hold kids accountable. Like, if you're not going to write down what you're grateful for, we know that you're going to be predisposed to see the negative. So
0: mm.
1: um, if you're holding your kids accountable on
0: anything. So hold, you would say have them have them write it down and share it. Is they what don't you're even saying? have to oh, share not, the content, yeah.
1: but they have to show you that they've written it. So, oh, I see. Got it. OK. And that's sort of my rule with kids is like, mm-hmm. if you want to share it, great, because right. I'm going to celebrate it. But if yeah. you want to keep it private, just make sure that you it's actually being done um, and you can do that in creative ways. You can do it around the dinner table. You can yeah. do it on the way to school, on the way home from school. But really answering the question, what went well today? Mm-hmm. And then taking a moment to reflect. So the good stuff is, can be little, can be big, but we're just training their brains to spot what's good in every day. And I think you talked about the negativity bias on one of your podcasts. Mm. And our brains are just hardwired. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: That's yeah. That's a very Buddhist thought. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's that as human, the human condition. It's just. Yeah.
1: From a survival perspective, we're hardwired. And so I think um, training our brains to see what's good is really, really important. And then I think movement, honestly, is that our Mm -hmm. kids spend a lot of time sitting in classrooms at desks. And can we make sure that they're moving every day and can we make sure that they're, you know, as active as we need them to be and go for walks and get outdoors with them and and relieve some of that pressure? So I think, um, because ultimately that's where you're going to find easy access to positive emotions. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, positive emotions are so incredibly important in building our resources uh, to be resilient. And that's another place where people say, oh, you, you mean happy. Well. We all only think of happy because no one teaches us to process all the ways we experience positivity. So um, teach your kids, what does it feel like to be inspired? What does it feel like to to feel a sense of pride? What does Mm -hmm. it feel like to access access serenity? What does it feel like to be hopeful? So give them a huge vocabulary for how to process the positive. So you just had it with your daughter when she's Mm -hmm. upset. You spend a lot of time processing how she's feeling, right? When Mm -hmm. we see kids struggling, we talk to them. It's okay. You're just a little anxious, right? We start Mm -hmm. labeling from a young age. Mm -hmm. With those exact same kids, we learn not to disturb them when they're not upset. So when kids are little and they're playing happily, it's like, don't go in there. Don't anybody disturb them. Right, but what we're missing there is teaching them how to label what that feeling is. Mm-hmm. So they've learned to distinguish guilt from anxiety, from anger, from fear, from sadness. But they haven't learned to self-generate, to distinguish the difference between pride, joy, amusement, awe, serenity, gratitude, love. And so there's this sort of void of positivity. And
0: yeah. if
1: you can teach them to really access a language of positive emotion, awesome.
0: Wow. That's a lot. I love that. Oh my Sorry. gosh. No, I love it. I'm just like, <laughs> Katie, we could talk all day. So let's get back to movement because okay. you mentioned that as, and you know how what how I feel about it. And we've spoken about this a lot. And so talk a little bit about your personal um, kind of feelings of movement and how you've felt in those times that you're saying where self-care went to the wayside. And because I do know people, I get a question a lot like, a people ask me, "How would you have so much energy?" And I'm like, "Well, it's because I keep moving." And I, I'm, I'm not like keep moving because I certainly sit on the couch too. But it's not; it's a non-negotiable. Like I'm going to get up and I'm going to move my body and I'm going to be physical because I know the, the the impact of that. But it still seems to be a struggle for people. And so, can you can you talk about like your own personal stuff and how yeah. you kind of like got back into the swing of things?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think. um there have been a couple of struggles for me. One was having to find a new passion. So basketball was so easy for me. Um, and then when that was gone, it was like, well, why move? What 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 do I really enjoy doing? Um, so one is finding the things that you enjoy and Movement should feel good. It should, like, Mm -hmm. I, my heart breaks when I hear people say, like, oh, I have to go to the gym or I have to. That's not the point at all. Like, find the movement that feels good for you. And at different points in my life, that has been 100-mile bike rides on a Sunday and a yoga class with you on a Friday morning. Um, So depending upon where I am in my life, I, I sort of access movement differently. But I think when I'm still, so is everything else in my life. Like, I don't professionally grow the same way when i'm not moving i don't uh connect in relationships the same way i certainly eat worse feel worse you know for me personally movement's incredibly important so um
0: i I think it is for everyone yeah i think it is for everyone and and i think i love what you said everything is still becomes more still and not in a not in a good way stagnant right because you don't have you're just not inspired you don't have that like self-sustaining, regenerating energy. You know, it's really true. Like sometimes energy begets energy. Like sometimes at my, oh, at, know, like right now, like yeah. at my kind of like in a lot, like lots of balls in the air, but I actually feel incredibly creative, incredibly energetic. And I, I think it, we, we think that we have like this infinite source. And then when we get there, we're just going to like Burn explode out. or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> right. But no. it's actually, no, you'll just keep on being like, oh, this is, I mean, I'd like to just, well, people will say quest. to me, like, yeah.
1: God, you're on fire right now. And right. I'm like, yeah. I, and usually that fire started through it. Like, yeah. it shows up in lots of other ways because I perform so much better at the other things I do in my life if I've been moving. But I love when people say to me, and they'll say it in different ways, like, whoa, you're overwhelming. Like, your your brain is on fire. It's such a compliment because that yes. just means that I'm sort of operating at my best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. if i'm not moving no I, I and i so i think that we can summarize resiliency is going to be ultimately um strengthened it is something that you don't have that you're not just necessarily somebody's born with it somebody's not and then too bad you're just going to no it's something that you can work on you can Um, embolden and you can embolden through a variety of ways and movement is should be kind of like top on the list because then that will have and they've shown this you know that the exercise has it's a keystone habit that has such it's so powerful it has a trickle-down effect on every other aspect of your life
1: if you do nothing else move and practice gratitude yeah because
0: those two
1: things have such incredible science behind the effects on sleep, the effects on relationships, the effects on preventing depression and anxiety. I mean, both independently, movement and gratitude are comparable to antidepressants in people suffering from depression. So, uh if you do nothing else with what we're talking about, yeah, write down what you're grateful for every day and move.
0: I love it. That's a, that let's just end on that. But I'm going to be sure to have you back, Katie. And please write in if you have any questions for Katie Curran. I'll have in the show notes all of her information where you can find her. And um, please rate and subscribe and review the podcast. Take a screenshot. Send it to me at podcast at movementbylara.com and I will send you a free link to a class so that you can move. Move today. Move every day. Sending out love to all of you from me and Katie.